go. For over a century, the United States has had a complex relationship with Haiti, the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Now, WikiLeaks has released cables that reveal just how complex that relationship has been, especially over the last few years, both before and after the devastating earthquake in January 2010. Two publications have collaborated on an ongoing series about the Haiti WikiLeaks cables, and I'm pleased to welcome Dan Coughlin, a reporter for The Nation, and Kim Ives, editor of the weekly newspaper Haiti Liberté, to our underreported segment today. Hello. Hello. Uh, just two little corrections. I'm an editor, not the editor, and it's Dan Coughlin. Okay. It's Coughlin. <laughs> yes, I'm it so is. Sorry. Back, like the Giants, <laughs> No relation. <laughs> the, the cables give a window into the U.S. relationship with former Haitian President René Preval, who took office in May 2006. How did Preval raise American concerns on his inauguration day by announcing an oil deal with Venezuela? Well, this is one of the problems. Preval really came out of the uh, Lavalas movement of the uh, early 90s, which was a, a democratic nationalist movement, uh, which the U.S. took a very dim view of. In fact, they supported a coup d'etat, which overthrew President Aristide eight months after he was uh, brought into power. And um, uh, Preval had been his first prime minister. So uh, Preval was a member of the um, sort of enlightened bourgeoisie of Haiti, uh, and they ended up being um, kind of uh, pragmatic in their approach. That was the word of uh, Sanderson, the uh, uh, U.S. Uh, ambassador, and was trying to deal with both the U.S. and with Venezuela and Cuba, who were offering aid. And, of course, Washington didn't like that at all. But the deal enabled Preval to work towards fulfilling some of his campaign promises, didn't it? Yes. Uh, you know, at the time in Haiti, uh, this was at the time, if you remember, of food riots uh, under Preval's administration, what Haitians called the Clorox riots because the, the pain of hunger felt like Clorox in your stomach. And so there was tremendous pressure on the Preval administration to deal with the rising cost of living, to deal with the lack of electricity, to deal with the cost of transportation. And the way that he dealt with that was to come to a special deal with Venezuela, an oil deal that Venezuela had set up for Caribbean countries of buying oil on preferential rates. But Preval must have understood how concerned the Bush State Department would be about uh, Haiti's overall relationship with Venezuela and a deal like this, which also involved Cuba. Well, that's just it. The, the uh, U.S. geopolitical uh, interests were trumping uh, Haitian uh, interests of the Haitian population. And, uh, you know, this is really the outrage that the WikiLeaks uh, cables show. So here you have a lowly ambassador pushing around a president and his cabinet telling them uh, – uh, what is good for Haiti, and uh, it, it's it's simply outrageous. So the American ambassador was was uh, just telling Preval what he he felt he should do. They were pushing back Ambassador Janet Sanderson at the time on this uh, Venezuelan oil deal. She's now assistant to deputy secretary of state, uh, but she was pushing back hard, and the U.S., in, including President Bush, when he met Preval, President Preval, pushed back hard on the Venezuelan oil deal for them. It was a geopolitical issue, but for the Haitians, it was a, almost a life-and-death situation. What about the economic aspect of it? American oil companies, which according to one of the cables are responsible for 45 percent of Haiti's oil imports, couldn't have been all that happy about the news. How did they react? Well, yeah, I think the – well, Dan. Yeah, ExxonMobil and Chevron had about 50 percent of the market, and that market share was going to be wiped out by essentially a state-run 
oil distribution system with this deal with Venezuela. So yes, they were very opposed to this deal and worked hard behind the scenes with the U.S. Embassy to try to scuttle the Venezuelan oil deal with Haiti that would provide uh, a constant supply of oil uh, in a very volatile oil market and that would give Haiti a level of energy independence that it hadn't had before. Did they just want to get rid of the Venezuelan side or did they just want a piece of the action? No, I think they they had their own sort of monopoly really coming into the country. And here were the Venezuelans coming, uh, offering a a deal which uh, threatened that monopoly. So they essentially uh, had a problem uh, not just in Haiti but even more globally with the Venezuelans because Chevron in particular – had been doing uh, business with uh, Venezuela for quite some time, and, and they were uh, uh, very unhappy with uh, uh, Petrocaribe. Well, knowing how the U.S. had reacted to the Venezuela oil deal, the shipment of which was still being negotiated, Preval then negotiated a three-party aid package with Venezuela and Cuba. What kind of aid was Haiti going to get out of that deal? Well, one of the key parts of that deal was building power plants. Uh, power plants up in northern uh, town of Cape Haitian, in another town of Gonaive, and uh, uh, increasing the capacity of power plants in Port-au-Prince. And sure enough, uh, one of the things that happened is now electricity uh, production uh, grew dramatically and and stabilized, in fact, in Haiti, which was a really a remarkable contribution uh, for uh, Haitian society to get this uh, level of electricity. And what did Preval tell the, the, the U.S. ambassador about that? Uh, well, he said, oh, you have to understand our situation. We're in uh, tight straits. Uh, please uh, allow us, if you will, the uh, leeway to deal with the Cubans and Venezuelans. Well, well even though the, the Bush administration was concerned about Haiti's relationship with Cuba and Venezuela, was the U.S. in a position to provide the, the kind of aid being offered by Cuba and Venezuela? Well, certainly the well, United they States. Is the <laughs> but large... they got uh, wars and stuff that they're leading around the globe, so all the resources are going into that rather than uh, healthcare in the U.S. or Haiti or wherever. Uh, no, the the Cubans uh, have become a, a medical superpower. There, uh, in fact, it's interesting. At one point, uh, uh, Janet Sanderson, the U.S. ambassador, said the Cubans have a mythic status in Haiti because of the. Uh, incredible way they go into the deep countryside providing medical care. Well, she's gone from the Bush administration to the Obama administration. Do you think that uh, the response, all of the things that uh, we've gotten from these cables would have been any different if President Obama had been in the White House at Uh, the time? Well, it seems the policies are pretty much the same, uh, Obama or Bush. Yes, Maybe not just Haiti. There's an old saying, U.S. administrations change, but U.S. interests don't. And that is what is shocking, really, about these WikiLeaks cable made available to Haiti Liberté that the Nation.com is partnering with, is you see behind the scenes this extraordinary bureaucracy at work, blocking an oil deal with Venezuela, manipulating an election, trying to stop a minimum wage increase, uh, working on earthquake issues that may not be necessarily in the best interests of the Haitian people. So it's a phenomenal uh, curtain raiser, really, on international politics, local political issues in Haiti, as well as uh, what's happening at the UN or in Caracas or Beijing or Taipei. Uh, Haiti is seen as an incredible, it's an incredible little microcosm of world politics, of historical forces, all crossroads uh, leading through Port-au-Prince. But it sounds to me like the Cold War is still going on, at least as far as Haiti is concerned. Yeah, whether now the Cold War is between uh, the uh, northern uh, Western Hemisphere and the southern Western Hemisphere. That is, uh, you know, their big uh, 
uh, bugaboos are really now uh, Caracas, uh, Bolivia, uh, Havana, and uh, these, this growing uh, pink tide, if you will, in, in Latin America. My guests are Kim Ives, an editor of Haiti Liberté, and Dan Coughlin, a reporter for The Nation. Uh, we're talking about the WikiLeaks cables uh, on Haiti for today's Underreported, and you can find links to their series on our show page at WNYC.org. Well, through this, President Preval tried to convince the Americans that he was a real partner. Uh, was the United States government buying that? Uh, no. Well, yes and no. You I mean, they s- must have realized that he was trying to do something for his country, and he was in a desperate situation. Well, it's interesting. In the cables, you really see Sanderson, who, which is it's mostly during her uh, tenure, uh, really rationalizing for Preval, sort of saying, well, he's a difficult character, he's got nationalist tendencies, uh, this and that, but at the same time, he's a player, he's a neoliberal uh, um, uh, advocate, he believes in neoliberalism, he is no part of uh, Chavez's revolutionary agenda, and so forth. So you can see her trying to balance, almost trying to justify for Preval, but at the end of the day, when they had a very a pro-U.S. Uh, a candidate come along, uh, they were ready to shove Praval aside and, and put him in power, as it just happened this March. In the end, he did get those oil shipments from Venezuela. So had Praval found an effective way to get what he felt he needed for his country? Yes, it appears that way. It's a, it's a David and Goliath story where the small country facing off against the giant country actually won something. It was a remarkable story, and it's all in these WikiLeaks. And just echoing what Kim said, uh, you know, they have a phrase in Haiti called marronage, and it's a term uh, where you pretend to go along with something, but in fact you do the opposite. And so what you see in these cables is extraordinary. Preval and his uh, officials are always uh, claiming they're doing something else with Venezuela or Cuba. Oh, it's not real. We're not really doing anything. It's just for practical purposes. But in reality, they're doing quite the opposite. Uh, and so it's a phenomenal uh, uh, sketch of you know the, how the weak deal with the powerful. Uh, earlier this month, you reported on how the United States and the international community viewed the Haitian elections, which were originally scheduled for the end of February 2010, but then postponed because of the earthquake in January 2010. Why were there already concerns about the elections before the earthquake? Uh, well, the fact was that the largest party in Haiti, the uh, Lavalas family party of uh, former President Jean-Bertrand Aristide, was uh, um, disqualified from these on totally ridiculous grounds. Uh, they, they, Aristide even went on the radio saying, let, let my party be part of it, but they said, well, he hadn't signed the papers and a whole uh, uh, rigmarole. So um, uh, from the start, and, and that's what the, the piece we did uh, two weeks ago showed, the um, – uh, international community led by the U.S. in Haiti uh, knew that this was going to be a problem, that the people were going to maybe reject the election for that reason. But they said, well, you know, we've got to go ahead with it because we've invested too much. That was the quote they had. Well, it's not just the United States. The United Nations got involved, didn't it? Yeah. Yes, it was, uh, in fact, uh, the whole international, what is loosely referred to as the international community, the EU, the UN, Spain, Brazil, Canada, Washington, and these uh, uh, countries comprise the biggest donors to Haiti. Remember, the Haitian government gets 65% of its budget from these countries. And they uh, wanted the elections to go ahead no matter what? That's right. What is shocking about this, as Kim says, uh, the uh, Haitian electoral officials had disqualified the most 
popular political party in the country. It's not in dispute on a technicality that everybody believed was a false, was a pretext. Even the international community. Even in, in the cables, they say this is nonsense. Uh, and But yet you see the debate. They're at a meeting, International Donors Conference, at the Brazilian ambassador's residence or at the, at the Brazilian embassy, and they're talking about, well, what to do. And ultimately, they do say, they cynically say, well, we have too much invested. We need to move forward, even though it's a f- completely fraudulent election. Because the fact is they have to keep a facade, a democratic facade on this country, which is militarily occupied, the only one in the Western Hemisphere. Do we know where these cables come from? Who released them? Because you can't well, blame this on some guy who's working in the U.S. military, can you? Well, there's uh, – no. I mean, that's the whole point that they've made about Bradley Manning. They're accusing him, but there's nothing to say that he actually did it. Uh, no. Uh, oh, these we, would be Bradley Manning as well? Well, uh, I, I mean, as – as far as I understand, this is one of the accusations. They're saying that he was responsible for getting the two hundred that trove of two hundred fifty thousand. We have two thousand of that two hundred fifty thousand, and uh, but you know who knows where it came from. Well, there's a very low turnout for the election, less than twenty three percent, and then the second round of voting was held before the first round of voting was even ratified. Yeah, which and was never ratified. In fact, the vote was illegal. The U.S. just forced it on, and that's what they do. I mean. It's uh, and you see it here in the cables. So, you know, so often there are these illegal uh, realities in Haiti. I mean, the occupation of the country is illegal according to the Haitian Constitution and international law, as was the election. But they they rammed it through anyway. Dan, uh, the report that was published on the Nation's website yesterday looks at the American response to the devastating earthquake in Haiti. Why was the decision to send thousands of troops criticized by many? Well, it's very controversial, first of all, because there is a growing uh, concern around the militarization of humanitarian uh, uh, crises in general. And so when the United States uh, responded with uh, 22,000 troops coming into Haiti just days after the earthquake uh, devastated uh, Port-au-Prince, the capital, and killed tens of thousands of people, there was a lot of concern that this was the, not the appropriate response, that in fact that uh, humanitarian missions were being sidelined in favor of the military missions. But they, they had a dual function, didn't they? They were sent to preserve order in Haiti in the chaotic days after the earthquake, but they also did uh, take over a lot of humanitarian uh, Well, it's business. interesting you should say that because the cables, in fact, say there wasn't a chaotic situation. The cables say that the situation was calm, that there was only sporadic violence, mm-hmm. and the U.S. Embassy, the U.N., and uh, uh, others and the Haitian government themselves never, ever said, according to these cables, that there's a security crisis in the country. Now, Kim, you were in Port-au-Prince at the time of the earthquake, Correct. weren't you, around yeah. the time? Yeah, well, I went uh, shortly thereafter. With what the, did you see? Well, that was just it. We went to the uh, general... You don't need WikiLeaks cables to tell d- us no, what you saw. No, we, we went to the uh, general hospital with the Democracy Now! crew, and we were trying to get in. And there were these uh, <laughs> 82nd Airborne soldiers at the gate with the gate closed, hundreds of people behind us trying to get in. These were people who were bringing food to their family. Families in the hospital, uh, the, the cafeteria and uh, kitchen of the hospital had been destroyed in the quake, and uh, also people who were earthquake victims trying to get in. The, the, the 82nd Airborne was closing off the hospital. It was, it was insane. We got in. We told the hospital director. He sent down and said, stand down. They did, but they continued to stand there in the driveway uh, of the hospital, uh, you know, with people sort of filtering in through them. It was silly. They should have been out with a shovel and uh, helping people dig out rather than standing there like uh, – 
people in the driveway. One of the reports describes how the destruction from the earthquake became an opportunity for American companies to move in and help with construction. And one cable described the opportunity as a gold rush. Well, what kinds of contracts are we talking about, especially in the light of the fact that another part of the series describes the controversy surrounding a wage hike that was proposed in June 2009, and uh, yeah, the they, people are going to be, have their wages raised to 62 cents an hour, which yeah, just seemed like too so much. So the contradictions are incredible. There the ambassador, Ambassador Merton, is writing just shortly after the earthquake that there's a gold rush at U.S. companies, and he's referring to General Wesley Clark, former uh, – uh, and NATO uh, general. but uh, And this was just indicative of what was going on with the earthquake in Haiti. Well, people can read the whole series on our show page at WNYC.org. My great thanks to Dan Coughlin, reporter for The Nation, and Kim Ives, an editor at Haiti Liberté, for joining us today for this underreported look at the WikiLeaks cables on Haiti. Thank you so much. Thanks, thanks Leonard.